Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than Durham and former Leicestershire all-rounder, Ben Rain. So Ben, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to get you on for a chat about all things county cricket. So I have to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Oh, it's been tremendous. It's that time of the year when you're getting some rest and you, you, you have to make them daily decisions of do I go to the gym today or you know, trying to keep yourself out of the pub for a couple of days. So uh, I mean, it's a great time of year. I think you work hard all year and you get October to just put your feet up and chill a bit. So yeah, it's a long yourself. season, isn't it? Very, very long season. Yes, takes its toll it on the body. Flipping heck, yeah. County cricket is a grind at times, but it's a rewarding grind at the same time as we'll discuss in today's podcast. And you mentioned the gym. Have you been to the gym so far this week? I went to the gym today, but I ended up meeting a mate for a coffee and I didn't end up actually going into the, the gym itself. So, But if, if, they, if, they check, if they check me, Miss Band, I was in the gym. Just not doing a workout? No, I didn't do anything. I felt Crikey. bad for it, but that time yeah that's the story of my life to be honest ben <laughs> going to the gym not doing much and then heading off for some food flipping heck <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> it's relatable it's relatable don't worry about it but ben in terms of today's podcast and for the listeners out there as well in terms of what we'll be discussing today it'll obviously heavily revolve around ben your your cricketing journey but we have also got some some very, very interesting list of questions, which I will say for the moment, <laughs> but word of warning, a couple of them are very, very rogue. So that'll be something quite lighthearted to end today's episode on. But then before we get into all of that good stuff, then I want to transport you all the way back to the origin of the Ben Rain cricketing journey. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this sensational game? First memories were going, I watched my dad play. He played at a club called Merton, um, which is just like a, a local kind of colliery club on the one of the old, it's like an old uh, pit town in the northeast where. So I used to go there every Saturday and watch my dad. You know, for them as long as I'd go with him in the morning. This was maybe before the old health and safety days where I'd go there. And me and my brother would just get left to kind of roam around, play with anyone that was there, anyone that would throw a ball at us, I'd try and hit it or I'd ball at whoever. And then my mum would come down on the afternoon and I'd sit in front of my mum and she'd throw catches for us all afternoon. So yeah, my yeah, earliest cricket memories were been there from as, from as long as I could walk, really. So maybe two, three-year-old, I was I was there every Saturday watching and, and pestering people to play cricket. <laughs> so very much family-orientated then. Yeah, with absolutely, yeah. Your dad and your mum. Yeah. That's a lovely journey into the game. I always like that. It's a good thing to hear here on the podcast. And aside from those those family influences, which obviously have played a massive role in terms of those formative years, who in the world of professional cricket itself did you look up to? Did you have any role models, any influences, any idols per se? Do you try to form your game off of in those early years? Uh, yeah, lots. I mean, it doesn't really make much sense the way I am in my career now, but... When I, when I, I was a batter when I was younger, so I, I looked at left-handers. I used to like, me two favourites, probably Graham Thorpe and Matthew Hayden. So um, it was it was interesting. I actually, he's the only, Graham Thorpe's the only autograph I ever asked for, and he turned us down. So I never, ever asked for another autograph. And then 
years later, I was I was telling this to, it was when I was about 18 at Durham, I told this to one of the coaches at Durham who knew him. And it, he actually he told Graham Thorpe, he, like, he actually wrote us a letter saying, like, oh, I'm really sorry. Um, I, I apologise for that. So I've never had a chance to actually see him since. So yeah, but that, yeah the, only, the only autograph I've ever asked for, and I didn't get it. Oh, God, that's unfortunate, that, Ben. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> I can't say that's ever happened to me, but one thing which has happened to me, and I'll never, ever forget this, this was in 2019, this was when Alan Donald was coaching Kent. I was in the South Stand at Edgebaston, you know, the big one with the media centre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Alan Donald was doing his lap around, and I was just thinking in my head, get a photo with Alan Donald, get a photo with Alan Donald, get a photo <laughs> with Alan Donald. Alan Donald starts walking up the stairs, and I completely froze. I, I, I couldn't speak a, a word. <laughs> I didn't ask for the photo. And he ended up staring at me. We held eye contact for a few seconds. Ooh, and all that I could muster yeah. was, are you all right, Alan? And that was it. And he said, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and walked off to the dressing room. I couldn't believe it. So Alan Donald, hey, maybe one day I'll get that photo with White Lightning. But God, that's just brought back the memories. Op- of uh, The opportunity was squandered there. Oh, yeah, exactly. But luckily, <laughs> since then, the confidence has, has picked back up, you know. <laughs> we didn't take it too much to heart, but as I said, one day, Alan Donald, we're getting that photo, whether he likes it or not. But then it's interesting, actually. You mentioned there about having two left-handers as your role models in, in Graham Thorpe and Matthew Hayden, because I've wanted to know this for absolutely ages, right? I've been watching you in county cricket for years. Why do you bat left-handed and bowl right-handed? Where did that come from? I've, I've no idea. Like, my brother bats right-handed. Um, the only thing I would say is, like, the way we used to play, like, a lot in the garden when I was younger, and um, there was a bit more room on the leg side for me. So, my brother was actually very good. He was a very good player when we were younger. Still is a decent player. He was very good through the offside. Where I was, le- I went left-handed and tried to hit everything leg side. So, it's kind of just a product of where you kind of play cricket, really. So, um, yeah, there was, there, was a, there was a wall on my left hand side, and there was a bit of open space on my right, so I just used to, yeah, bat left hand and try and head over there. So it is remarkable how much that shapes, like how you play, really. It is. I don't think I've heard that on the podcast before. See, because I've had players on Oliver Hannah Dorby is a great example of this. He bowls right handed, bats mm-hmm. left handed, but his logic was with regards to the forward defence because you utilise your front hand, so it's a lot easier for him to to play that defensive shot as a tail ender, but. It is interesting, isn't it? How life works out and how your built environment actually shapes the cricket that you play. Yeah, oh, 100% does, yeah. Absolutely. Wow, that's really interesting. See, I finally got the answer for that. I've been wanting to know that for <laughs> years. So, yeah, good to have finally uh, shone some light on that in today's episode of the podcast. And before we get on to the discussion about county cricket and we discuss your time in the national counties with Northumberland and then obviously first 11 cricket with Durham, I just wanted to touch upon a little bit of village cricket because we've mentioned Merton, but Merton aren't the only club that you've played for. You've played for Philadelphia, you've played for Bladen, you've played for Newcastle. In terms of those experiences in village cricket, Ben, how would you summarise your time in village cricket in the UK? I can only sum it up by saying I've absolutely loved it. It's, I played at Merton from when I was, I think I played my first game when I was about five, I think, uh, and I left when I was 11. So I, I'm Although that's where I started, I'd say my home club is Philadelphia. I played there from when I was 11 till I got in the academy at Durham. And 
for me, that was just where I spent my entire summer. It was, you put, I played for, started like under 11s, but then so I was playing 11s, 13s, 15s, 18s, and then play for like the seconds and the thirds on a, on a weekend, on a Saturday and a Sunday. I'd be playing, you know, five, six games of cricket a week at that club. So it's more just memories as people who still play there, who you know, similar age to me, probably a little bit older, who I grew up with, really. So yeah, I, probably, I don't get down there as much as I'd like because of the kind of hecticness of the season at the minute. But, you know, it's just, for me, it's, that club for me is like the memories of, and where I, you know, learned my cricket. If I wasn't playing the actual game, I'd have been there in the nets playing games with like, you know, like one arm on bounce or whatever. But still, like that's how I learned. That's where I did all my hours of practice. Was I didn't think I was practicing, but I was. I was just, you know, playing daft games or then that's all. I mean, for me, that's where I, I learned to love the game, and <laughs> it was literally where I spent all my summer. So, and then obviously my other experiences. I think. The, the me time I played was amazing. I played with such an amazing group of. It was my first time going as like like a, a professional into club cricket. It was like you know I was getting a bit of money and it was like right you've got to go and do a job. But it was it was at a time I guess we'll get on to it. But it was the time where it wasn't going well for us at Durham, and it was that one game a week on a Saturday which kept me in the in the sport. Really, it was probably where I was like I realized you know what I don't. I'm not. I don't not like the sport because I I was I'd, I was like a kid again. Like on a Saturday morning, looking out the window, hoping it wasn't raining, so I'd go and play for Bladen. So I've I've loved I've loved playing club cricket. I haven't played club cricket in a lot of years, if I'm honest with you, just because of how much we play. Um, but I've always enjoyed it. I've always loved it when I have played. Well, that is fantastic to hear. It really is. Club cricket is brilliant, and that community sense and. As you mentioned, making those memories for life, it does just make the game so much better. It takes you back to those early years, doesn't it? As you Absolutely. rightfully said. Mm-hmm. Now, that's really good to hear, Ben, and I'm very happy with regards to those experiences of Bladen that it almost relit the fire, as we'll discuss when we got onto the discussion about Durham and that first stint with the Northeastern County. But before we get into county cricket proper, you did also have some time in the national counties with Northumberland. And I love discussing the national counties. They're an integral pillar of that English cricketing pyramid. And they don't seem to get enough recognition, do they, in terms of the importance of the role that they play? So how would you describe your experiences with Northumberland and how important was that time in the national counties in terms of your development as a cricketer? My time when I did play for Northumberland kind of came actually at the back end of when I was playing for Durham. So like, I'd had a couple of years on the staff at Durham as a like young lad on what you would call a rookie contract now. Um, so I played a couple of games at the back end of my time at Durham and it was tough cricket. It was, you know, you play against like pretty flat pitches. Um, I mean, at the time I was a batter, so I, I enjoyed it, to be honest with you. But I, I remember thinking this would be toil as a bowler, you know, good at like, quick outfield, small grounds, good pitches. It was... I wouldn't. I'm not sure I'd like to go and play it now. It'd be, it'd be a pretty tough slog, 120 overs in the day. But you know, I think I think it is. I think it is a, a good proven ground. It just. It, I think the only thing I've seen recently is like the availability of real high end players because it's obviously you know it's three days of your week. It's um, you've got to be you know pretty dedicated to it to um, to give up the time to take days off work to go and play it. Um, so I'm I'm unsure what the standard is anymore, but. Yeah, you know, a lot of there's a lot of 
county you know, current county players that have had a bit of experience in the minor counties and you know, I think it's a valuable tool if used right to produce players. Hundred percent. I would agree with that, in particular when you look at 2022, because we've seen some players make that next step up. So we've had the likes of Ben Gibbon. He's come from Cheshire. He's now gone on to play for Worcestershire. You've got Michael Finan at Leicestershire, also another product of Cheshire. And then you've got Brad Curry from Dorset as well. So I think for for some, in some capacity, it definitely is doing its, its job. But I do agree with regards to availability. It's tough, isn't it? in terms of Absolutely. having that availability, sacrificing your time, all to pursue the dream. But I, I do think it's it's an important part of that English cricketing structure. And as I said, any excuse to talk about the national counties, give them a bit of a <laughs> shout out, I will take here on the podcast. But then it is that time to discuss county cricket proper, as it's known, and your journey at Durham County Cricket Club. So before we discuss the, the first stint, and we talk about the highlights and maybe the tough moments from that that venture into county cricket in the first place. How did that opportunity first arise at your boyhood club? Um, well, for me, it was just I got on the academy. We had a, our academy worked a bit different back then. We we used to play in the league in the local Premier League, so we had like a decent sized squad. Would have maybe thirteen, fourteen contracted, and that was full time through the summer. Like you know, it was a job. So I was very lucky in that sense. And the second. The second I left school from 15-year-old, I was getting paid to play cricket. Um, so, I mean, it was great. It was, you were in there. If you, I mean, if you look back, it was probably slave labour. I was in there 10 hours a day, every day. Just, But I wasn't, you know, I just, I wanted to be there. I'd train, I'd go and watch a bit of the first team game. If I was on, I'd do my gym, I'd do whatever. And you're just there. You just wanted to be a part of it. You wanted to be a, a pro. So we had like an incredible academy system to still do at Durham but it was a much bigger thing you know my, my first academy team at Durham had it was you know Scott Borthwick was there you had Stokes Woody people like that and that was you know that's a kind of calibre of, of player that I was like you know, day in day out training with and just spending my days with so I mean that was brilliant it was a you know quicker than upbringing that prepared a lot of blokes for first class cricket you saw a lot of players come through and still it's what you know. It's a very productive academy in terms of who they produce. In terms of playing for Durham, playing for England, um, and it's obvious why that John Windows, our academy director, who has been since I was in the academy, is excellent at that job. He's tough. He was unbelievably tough on you. But you realise as soon as you get into first team cricket, what he was doing, he was just toughening you up and making sure you're ready for the pressures that are going to come your way. Um, so yeah, my academy experience was amazing and. It was, we had an incredible team at Durham at the time. You know, I think it was won three championships in the space of maybe been like four or five years or something like that. And it was you know, never. It was tough to dream of getting into the first team with some of the likes of players. It was actually tough to get into the second team at the time. You might have one or two academy lads in the entire second team, so it was literally just waiting for someone to get injured. I, I, I got me. Set, I made my second team debut. Because one of the openers was banned, he, he he's like, I think he got a bad decision in club cricket, and it sprayed the umpire, and he got a two week ban. So I, I got in for a second team game. And I got a hundred in the seconds, and then was left out of the week after because he came back. So oh my goodness, um, that 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 was just like you know we had such an unbelievable squad. Um, but you didn't even argue. It was just like, but well, yeah, I, I understand. I'm missing out for him, like. It was like all it was like it was the two openers I was trying to beat at the time was Mark Stoneman, 
it was in the second to the time, a lad called Carl Turner, who's probably one of the best players I've seen that never got a bit unlucky with throughout his career. He went and played for knots after Durham. Um, and I was just like, yeah, fair enough. The better players than me, I understand it. It was a ridiculously good team, though, wasn't it? That Durham side of like the late 2000s to the, the yeah. mid-2010s, as you said, three times county championship winners, 2008, 2009 and 2013. Then you beat my county of Warwickshire in the 2014 Royal <laughs> London One Day Cup, yeah. even though GTAN took four for 20 or four for 25 <laughs> it was in that game at Lords. But Durham were one of the teams to beat, weren't they? In that era, you took great pleasure beating that Durham team because they were full of England internationals and the domestic players as well. Brilliant. They were a great team to watch. They played hard cricket. And as I said, getting them as a scalp, it just meant that little bit more. They were a fantastic team. And in terms of your debut for Durham, Ben, what can you remember from that day? And how did that opportunity arise in the first place, given the amount of competition that was there in that squad? So I remember, I was I think I made me one day debut first. So I'd went to, I'd, I was in a four-day squad. We went to Worcester and it was like, I remember it was 50-50 on the morning. Dale Bankenstein was, he was unwell. And then he, he wasn't going to play. It was, like, it was between me and him and he decided, no, I'm good enough, I'll play. He then, we batted first and I remember he got like four or something like that. Didn't get any runs and he was like, I'm not feeling well. Went back to the hotel and then, I had a field for them from the rest of the game and we, we made them follow on. So I did about two and a half days of fielding. And I was just like, this is, this is remarkable. We went from there to, it was at Edgebasson, like a it was pro 40 then. And I remember I got I got picked and it was a bit of a strange one, to be honest with you, because I'm still not 100% certain. Well, like, well I'll get to it. So basically, we, I was an opening batter at the time and I bowled a bit in club cricket, but not in the settings. We had too many bowlers, so I was never, ever going to bowl. I don't think I'd have bowled an over in the second team all year. And then we got into the, got picked. And then it was basically like the captain comes over and was like, it was Dale Benkins. I was like, why am I being told to bowl you? I was like, I, I, I don't know. I'm not very sure. I, I can bowl. And he was like, so I ended up batting nine and playing as a bowler. But then the captain was like, he, he doesn't bowl. So I'd, I'm still not 100% certain if they actually picked the right person for that game. I don't know who they thought I was, but I'm still. I remember still. St- I remember thinking that like, have they picked the right person? So I don't actually know. Like it's a, it was a weird one. It was a very strange debut, and even like halfway through the first innings, I think Stokes he got, he might have got 150, um, and there was a small boundary one side, and the the head coach at the time comes up and was like, like Ben, um, like how do you play a spin? And I was like, what? I was just like, so yeah, it was a bit of a mystery. That my debut was a bit, it was a very strange debut. I'm not gonna lie, looking back, it's quite funny, but um, so that one was in that that debut was interesting. But I mean, my four day debut, I played against a, a Sri Lanka A team, um, which again was a bit, it was a bit of a strange debut. I, I, it was, I think it was a three day game, on, it might have been a four day, I can't remember. But on look, we were failed in first session of day two, I remember. and came off at lunch and one of the coaches had a gorders for not wearing my county cap and I was like you haven't given us it and he was like what do you mean I was like you didn't give him you didn't give us my cap and he was like we did we did give it like last game and I was like this is my debut so he was like so there was a bit of there was a bit of a like, discussion about it and I was like eventually 
one of the, another bloke came over and was like, "Have you got a cap?" And I was like, "No, like this is this is my debut." And they were like, "Oh, so we're really sorry." So before going out for um, we went out walked out after lunch on day two, and they were like, uh, "Yep, yeah, sorry, we forgot to give Benny's cap." Um, congrats on your debut. <laughs> <laughs> so we, yeah, we first two games were a bit interesting. Um, yeah, that's one way of describing it. They forgot to give you a cap. Yeah, and then I got told off for not wearing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was it was interesting. Um, ben, we're like uh, two hundred episodes into the podcast. That's the first time I think I've ever heard that. Oh yeah, that was yeah, that was. I remember, I remember sitting. I was kind of, I didn't cause obviously I'd never seen anyone get a cap before or anything like that, so I didn't know it was like a thing. So I didn't really think of anything, but I was like. I was like, you know, someone someone mentioned it halfway through the like the like we were failing and was like, You're not wearing your cap? And I was like, I haven't got one. And then I came off and the coach was like quite quite angry. It's like, you haven't I haven't got one. So uh, but I remember like that I, I just wasn't ready to be honest with you. I, I'd scored runs in the seconds, but I just think I was I I was nervous. I wasn't I wasn't ready to play first team cricket at that time in my life. I remember like, I didn't bat how I wanted to bat. I actually actually bowled in that game, which was very which a bit on you. I think I bowled about three overs, and like it was like just chucked as the ball before like tea or something. But like, yeah, I think I always knew that I could bowl. It was just I was in a team where I was an open batter, and we had even in the seconds would have, you know, you'd you'd be rocking up to a setting team with the likes, you know, like Liam Plunk and people like that would be in the setting team. So I'm never going to get a ball. Um, so I had a, you know I had a really good year in the seconds that year. So that's how I kind of got in, and I had a, a couple of years on. We used to call them development contracts. They're called rookie contracts now, essentially. So, yeah, I had two years on that at Durham. Um, but yeah, it just didn't go that well. It wasn't... Uh, I probably I didn't take the seriously as I should have, and I didn't didn't enjoy it at all, really. I, I really didn't enjoy my time initially at Durham. Um, so, that obviously meant I, I probably you know I wasn't as professional as I should have been and didn't work as hard as I should have and that led to me obviously getting sacked when I was on my 21st birthday I got sacked which was one of the probably best things that ever happened to us. Well before we get on to that because I did want to know your thoughts and mm-hmm. feelings I mean on your 21st birthday that is that's a really tough thing to take isn't it from your boyhood club to have that contract essentially taken away but I just wanted to ask that in reflection Ben you mentioned there about things which you could have done better in that first stint. In your opinion, why did that first stint not go as planned or how you would have dreamed it to have gone? What exactly went wrong with that first stint into county cricket with Durham? I just I, I just think I didn't have the I didn't have the like the heart in it. I wasn't I wasn't fully into what I was doing. I wasn't yeah, you know, I liked being a cricketer, I liked I liked cricket, but you know, it's, this is a, it's a it's a tough job. I think people sometimes will forget that people just think, oh, you play cricket for a living. You know, it's there's ups and downs, and the, you know the downs are you know pretty strong, really. So I think people don't appreciate that, and it was just something that I wasn't willing to kind of put up with. So I didn't, I probably didn't try as hard as um, as hard as what I could or whatever. Um, so that's you know for me that's. Probably why that didn't go that well. Um, it did lead to us getting sacked, but as I said, I think that was the thing that I needed at that stage in my life to 
let's sit back and have a think about it and um, just see where I was at, really. Almost like a catalyst, I suppose, a wake-up call from those early days where things hadn't quite gone to plan, I suppose. And you mentioned about getting sacked from Durham and the termination of that contract on your 21st birthday. First and foremost, how did you learn about that? Was it a text? Was it an email? How did you find out that you weren't going to get your contract renewed? Uh, yeah, it was another another strange one, to be honest with you. It was a bit of a... We played like the second team final, uh, semi-final, the week, but maybe the week before. And I'd had a really good game. I'd, I remember I got like... It was quite a low-scoring game and I bowled really, really well in it. And then I'd I'd got a 50-odd and I'd out again and kind of get us over the line. I'm at around 50. I can't remember exactly how I got but it was a, I played a pretty, pretty big role getting us to the final in that game and then came into training at the start of the next week and there was yeah, there was oh, there was no like it was before like WhatsApp and all that kind of stuff on there was a board and it had like, this, this is the second team squad for the final that wasn't in us and I remember thinking what on earth I don't, like, what's happening here and then we were training at the time and I was um, um, I was just bought, I was going into I was looked at the schedule for training I was bowling so I was I was in the middle of a spell actually um, I was in the middle of a spell and the head coach happened to just kind of was still quite near us um, so I I just asked him I just said like look what's happening here like, why aren't I in that second team um, and he just kind of like paused a bit and went you haven't got a future here anymore and I was like or like, what, like, what do you mean? Um, and he was like, "Yeah, look, I think, yeah, yeah, you just haven't got a future." And he was like, "I was like, like, kind of stood there, and I was like, I don't know what he means here." I was like, "What? Well, so I've been released?" And he's like, "Yeah, you, you're going to be released. Just other lads have gone ahead of you." Um, yeah. And I was like, "All right." And then it was, I, I don't know if he just kind of panicked or whatever. But he's like, "But I mean, you can keep on bowling if you want." And I was just like. Uh, I was like, no, nah, I think I'm going to go home if that's all right. And so I just like, I kind of, I just kind of walked away really and walked back in the change room, just packed up my bag and everything and then just left. And I remember getting in the car and I was like, what on earth? And I remember like, one, I was one of the, like, I remember Mitch Clayton. So he, he was stood there and he was kind of sat there, like he was sat in the change room and I was just like, and he was like, aren't you supposed to be bowling now? And I just looked at him and I was just like, I just got released. And he was like, Oh, like, so sorry to hear me. And then, so like that was it. And then that was the kind of last I, last I spoke to anyone really at Durham. I think the, there's a, a couple of the coaches reached out privately or whatever to speak to us. But um, that was, I didn't have like, a, there was nothing formal. I don't think it wasn't like a sit down and praise like you have nowadays. It was just you know, straight to the point and done, really. That is brutal. That <laughs> it was really is. brutal. Yeah, it was quite brutal. I mean, how how did you react to that in the in the weeks and months that followed? Because we do speak about players getting released here on the podcast, and obviously you've got the initial shock, right? Because you've been released from the contract, and the dream at that point is in tatters for the time being, and then you've got to work your way back. Mm-hmm. But it's the moment's realization in the weeks that follow, isn't it? Because you've been working your entire life for that exact moment. It's your boyhood club, and not only that, when you think about your friends and family, they know you as Ben Rain the cricketer, don't they? That's exactly mm-hmm. what you've been working all your life towards. How did you react in, as I said, the, the months and, and the weeks that followed that release? I, th- well, I think for me personally, it was 
I, I didn't have any desire to go back to cricket at all. I'd had, I'd really, you know, I not hadn't enjoyed myself at all in a professional sense that year. Like in the slightest, I'd hated it. I was, you know, I was at that time twenty year old, and waking up every morning like, please be raining. Like, and if I opened my curtains, and if it wasn't, I'd be genuinely devastated. I think the only thing that did keep us in the game was the eventual realization that I wasn't doing that when I was playing club cricket. I was really looking forward to that. So one day a week, I was like doing the opposite. I'd open the I'd open the curtains and be like, "Oh, it's dry. I get in. I get to go and play for Bladen. Um I think so. I, I did. I, I I kind of I gave up on that. I'd I, I'd had a few. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I applied for a couple of jobs and stuff like that, um, which I never really had any interest in doing. The only other thing I'd ever wanted to be, apart from a cricketer, was going in the army. So. I'd thought about that quite a bit, but then I'd say about a month or so after I kind of sat there and just was reflecting on it. And that's when I kind of realised that, you know, it's just maybe I need to go to a different club, try somewhere else to see if I, see if I enjoy it there or not. If I, if, and then if I go there and I hate it, then then it's fine. I can, I can leave it or whatever. Or if I give it a year, of trial and, and I don't get anywhere, then I can move on with my life and do something else. But I, I think I'll regret it if I don't. So it was then that I, I'd kind of made the decision that I was going to trial around and I'd saved up some money from playing club cricket. And so I was like, I, I, I didn't like, I didn't really need a job through the winter. I, I went and got a job because as I found out when I was applying for jobs, I had nothing on my CV. So I was like, so I went, I did like, I worked for about two, a month or so in uh, next, like the clothes shop, like near mine, and here, just like there was some great people there, but like I was like, and that was another thing for me. It was just like this isn't for me. Like so, after about a month, I was like, I've had enough. I'm I'm done. Um, I'm gonna get myself in the gym every day, get myself fit, and uh, get myself back into cricket really in any way that I could. I, I spent I, throughout the winter. I, I, emailed as many counties as I could. I was lucky at that time I had an agent who was doing the same thing. He just so I'd pick up trial days or whatever at different counties, which is it's a tough slog, like I'm not gonna lie, like going around driving in your car, going all the way around the thing just to you might be going, you might get ten minute bat in the net. You might go you, know, you might drive down to like I think I drove all the way down to Kent. Um and That's a journey thinking, that it was a long journey. I remember I stayed in like an awful like for like this awful hotel and I remember thinking yeah you got like 10-15 minute bat in the net and I was like oh my bit of waste of time that one but that's all I had to do I knew I had to go and put myself in as many like shop windows as I possibly could my mum and dad were unbelievable and supporting us and stuff like that and put put some pepper in my car every now and again it gets around and I couldn't have done it without their help really but yeah so I, I trialed throughout that winter and then again leading into the summer I had had a, a you know quite a few counties that wanted us for the for a couple of weeks or so so I just spent my time going to different counties and playing and playing until something came good really. Well, something did come good, didn't it? And that's that particular county was Leicestershire, Leicestershire Ooh. County Cricket Club, where to be honest, you did have a very good time of it. And we'll discuss one innings in particular, which I was there to witness live <laughs> in 2018. I can't get away with not mentioning that on today's podcast, even though I'm a Bears fan and was there live in the flesh to witness that century at the Fortress. But before we get on to that, of course, and we talk about the highlights and the tougher moments from your time with the Foxes, 
How did that opportunity present itself in the first place? You mentioned about trialing, you mentioned about going all the way up and down the country. But what was it about Leicestershire that drew you in and enticed you to play for the Foxes in the first place? Strangely enough, I actually I went to a it was like call them open trials. So you'll go, it's in the winter, it'll be indoors, and they just invite, you know, anyone can go. And I remember I went to this one at Leicester and it was it was horrific. It was like it was I remember standing there thinking, what on earth am I doing? I nearly that day I nearly quit. I was like, this is it was just so badly ran. The standard of people there was like it was terrible. Like there was a lad I'd, I'd like I, I know people wanted like trial, but there was a lad who trialed to like, he was being a keeper, but he he wouldn't stand up in the spin net. And I was a bit like, well, like, oh, I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I even here? And I remember leaving that thinking, like, I, one thing I know for sure is I don't ever want to play for Leicester. And so I left that thinking that. And then kind of didn't think anything. Like, I didn't really hear anything from them. And I, I wasn't that bothered, to be honest with you. And then I trialed for a couple of counties. Um, and I, I didn't I, I did, didn't do that well, to be honest with you. So it was a bit like, then I just I just started to find a bit of form and I actually I got a call I had a free week I didn't have anything lined up and I got a call like late on a Saturday night off it was uh, Ben Smith who was the second team coach at Leicester at the time just asking if I wanted to come down and play that week and I was a bit like I don't know if I do to be honest but then so I was like oh who like who are you playing against um, where's that and he was like oh, we're playing against Glamorgan at, at in Leicester so. Glamorgan was someone that I was lined up to go and play a few games for a little bit. So I was like, right, well, yeah, I'll go and play hopefully and do well against Glamorgan. So that's, that was my own thought of going. And then so I ended up going to this game. Um, and trialing is a very interesting thing. And it's something I'm very conscious now if I'm ever in a team as, as a trialist comes in. You are such an outsider. So you, I always now very conscious try to make that person feel very welcome and, and whatever but you know not everyone is like that that's all I'd say in my experiences of trial and some dressing rooms are good some some are not so good but this Leicester dressing room from the setting I got there was just unbelievably welcoming all the lads that were there was from the from the first day it was just like I, I can see myself playing cricket here like I, I really enjoyed this um and it was just like lucky we I think I batted eight in the, in the first game and we were like 50 for six and I, I think I got like 80 odd. I was I got 80 odd and I was the last man out and then I might have picked up a wicket or two ball and we didn't have that many ballers. They got off to a good start so they're like, can you come back next week? And I was like, oh, I can't next week, I'm playing here. Um, but I'll come back the week after. So I came back a couple of weeks later um, and I, I did the same thing. We actually, we went and played knots and it was actually very, this is actually a remarkable thing but we turned but not, and we didn't have any bowlers. So, me How and the lad on they lost two, but they played a four day game the week before. They'd had a lot of injuries, and two of the bowlers had got injured in the four day game. So, two of the lads who were in the second team had to go and be in the first team squad for this coming week. So, me and another trialist lad opened the ball, and who at the time didn't bowl much, but he's gone on to do some pretty things. So, me and um, Ollie Robinson ended up opening the ball. Yeah, so like it was, it was strange. I, I was, I remember to say at the time he didn't really bowl much either. I think he might have even still been bowling a bit of spin, but we both did like quite well to be fair. So, in in hindsight, not a great bit of signing by Leicester to pick me over him. But that's 
So that's how it kind of went. I, I, I bowled really well against Knotts that week. And I was going to play for Knotts the week after. It's a trial for Knotts. I was going for about three weeks. It was already organised. So I think Leicester kind of panicked a bit. And they were like, right, well, come for that. we want off your contract. So it, it worked out quite well. And, and to be honest, yeah, I was over the moon that... I was over there to get any contract really, but I'd, I'd enjoyed it. Like the lads had made us feel really a part of it. Um, it was a no-brainer. As soon as I got the contract, I wasn't even like I want to. I didn't even want to go and try anywhere else. I felt I felt like I was at home. I really I loved the lads. Uh, I loved the place as well, to be honest. So it was. I was over the moon to get that contract. I remember getting in the car with it in my hand, and I was just like, oh, "This is unbelievable. This I'm back." <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, Ben, that's a lovely story. It really is, in particular after those those tough moments at Durham and getting released, to have that drive to come back and then you get that contract at Leicestershire. And I like Leicestershire as a club. I, I really do. They've been through some tough times, haven't they, over the past decade absolutely, or so. Yeah, but absolutely, yeah. It's a very community-driven and family-orientated club, isn't it, at Grace Road? It's, uh, it's an amazing club. I think it's, it's, you know, it's an experience as a player. I think... I, I get why you know a lot of the players like have a go at the ground and that, but I think I don't I don't see that person because I've spent so much time there. I just I loved it. I was you, you know everyone on the ground. Like I would I'd walk in. I'd, I'd know all the stewards because there's only about five, and so you know everyone. It's very familiar. It's um it's a close knit. People look after like they look after you as a player, and you look after the people who work there. It's it's a club that's run with like the best possible intentions you could ever imagine. It's just. You know, there's a there's a funding gap in the counties. That's that's evident. You see, you know, Edge Bass and you go to Edge Bass and you see the money that's there. You go to Grace Road. That's that's the difference. It's run by great people in a really good way. That's what I'd say about Leicester. It is indeed, and I've got to say, from having multiple experiences at Grace Road, you've got to try the cheeseburgers there. They are absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Certified good, right? run. <laughs> the more you know. The more you know, tips and tricks <laughs> from Aaron here at the Counter Cricket Podcast. But talking of Leicestershire and talking of a certain game against my county of Warwickshire at Edge Baston in 2018, I was there with my friends Alexandra and Nathan in the South Stand. Let's talk about that century, shall we, Ben? Um, <laughs> because <laughs> that was quite the remarkable knock, wasn't it? If we're being honest, and I'll let you put it into your own words. But before that game, before a ball was bowled. Was there anything in terms of your warm-up, maybe in terms of you know those those pre-game hitting sessions, which suggested that you could produce a performance like that in the first place? Did anything feel different on that night per se? No, I just think I think I'd I'd done that role the year before. So basically, I'd done what how I was I was used was if we lost two quick wickets, I would go in four and try and attack the power play, and I'd done it reasonably successfully in terms of I I do the power play a bit very well. And then get out as soon as I was out of the power. I just felt a bit lost. So I had something I'd done a lot of thinking on that winter and I'd gone away. I'd played that winter and I'd played a bit of T20 stuff just in like club cricket in New Zealand. And it's something that I'd thought a lot about. So going into that season, I felt in a much better place to do that role. And to be honest with you, that was just the first real opportunity I got to do it. So in the, in the games leading up to that game, we hadn't lost those two wickets, so I hadn't gone in. So I batted down the order, but I played some nice innings coming in late on and just trying to smack it. So I felt I was in good good nick. I'd scored a few runs in the red ball stuff. So I knew I was in like decent touch. 
And I had, I tell you what, I had a hell of a bat that year. It was unbelievable, which made such a big difference. I remember, it was this thing was like my prize position. Um, so it was like, I knew I could do, and I got in there. I remember getting in, in that game. I just knew that I just stay calm and don't lose my head because that's my problem. And I just try to smack everything. So like, like just play with your brain, pick your pick your moments. Like, don't try and smack Jane Patel. Just get one off him. Trying to make everyone else, and then it just—it was just one of them freak nights. Really, it was just one of, uh, one of them things. You—you kind of know where the ball's going to be before they ball it. One of them ones, and um, everything hit the middle, and it was amazing. I it was class. I, it was a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I can imagine it was. I bet it was for the Leicestershire fans as well. Not so much for <laughs> me and my friends at Edge Baston, who were looking forward to that game, and then. That happens. And for those who don't know what we're actually discussing here, a 41-ball century, which ended 113 from 46 balls, eight fours, 10 sixes, and that strike rate of 245.65. It was ludicrous. It It, it really was. And that wasn't the only good performance that you produced on the night either. You then went and took two wickets in your three overs. Do you remember who those two wickets were? Funnily enough, two of my favourite ever players. I think... I think I bounced out Ian Bell that night. You did? Yeah. I did. <laughs> that's a decent night out in itself, really. Yeah, that's it's what, something I, I always take them like, it's something I take them out myself at the minute. I always just say that, like, I, I count all the, like, test players or whatever that I've rushed or hit on the head with short balls and stuff like that. So he's in there. Don't want you to worry about that. Do you remember who the other wicket was? It might have been. I think this one was a fluky one. I think, if I remember right, it might have been a young Sam Hain. And I think he belted one. He belted one at like somewhere over here, somewhere in the offside. I can't remember where it was, but he just smacked one straight in the block. And I remember, oh, I'll do that. Yeah, both in the fourth over, that kind of, of killed our run chase. And then mm. Callum Parkinson took four for 20. He did. He, didn't he not? Did he not bowl his last over or something? I think so, if my memory yeah, is correct. I, I'm sure it's something he still warns about now. He's like, that's <laughs> they were nine down and they didn't bring us back on, I remember. Because he wanted his fiver, didn't he? Yeah, he did, I remember. I was like, to be honest with me, I didn't even know he won four. <laughs> I, remember, I remember he sitting there more than after the game. No, he bowled very well and yeah, mm. that was quite the defeat for the Bears. 100 runs on home soil at Edgebaston. Wasn't a great year, to be honest, in terms of <laughs> of our T20 Plus campaign 2018. I remember as well after that, <laughs> I've still got the photo on, uh, I think it's one of my old Snapchat stories. And it's just a picture and I put like something like, tonight was disgraceful, onwards to Durham. And then we lost to Durham. <laughs> <laughs> we lost like three games in a row. Um, so yeah, that was not the best season to be a Bears fan in T20 <laughs> cricket. But you know what? Sometimes you, you have to take your hat off and say, Better team won on the night, and in your own words, Ben, that was a freakish performance. It really was oh, fair just, play to you. Just thank you very much. one of them strange ones, wasn't it? Which you could do it every day. <laughs> be an easy <laughs> game if you could, wouldn't it? No, you could, wouldn't they? Be a very, very easy game. And would would you say that was your highlight from your time at Leicestershire, or did something else top that over the years for the Foxes? Um, I think no, I think <laughs> I mean. It highlights probably how poor we were when I first started. I'd say probably my highlight was we, we went my first two years there. We didn't win a four day game. 
tour. Um, I remember we went down to Essex. Who, it was just as they were just starting to become the team that they are now before Harmer. Um, we, we beat them and it was our first win in, I think it'd been like three seasons. Uh, I remember that feeling being, that was amazing. You know, it was the first forward, the first championship win and it took two and a half seasons to get it. So, yeah, that, I think that was a highlight for me. I, I, I love remember, remember that moment. It was a real sign that we were kind of coming along as a team and we were improving from where we had been. So, and again, I think it was because it was done in the right way. It wasn't done with like, didn't just go and sign a new team. It was people put the time and effort to develop the kind of younger players that we had and a couple of smart, older signings with, um, that helped us along the way, like Mark Cosgrove and Clint McKay, who were brilliant. It was just a really good team atmosphere. I reckon that was probably, looking back, that was probably the highlight. That, that win was amazing. Well, it's good to hear that, and yeah, that was a, a torrid time, wasn't it, to be a Leicestershire fan? Yeah, it certainly couple was. Of years. Yeah. Just couldn't win at all. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was reminiscent of what Nottinghamshire went through, wasn't it, in the mm-hmm. in the early 2020s, but goodness yeah. me, yeah. I think it was the longest streak in English county yeah, history. It is, yeah. It is, yeah. yeah, that's an unwanted record, but you know what? All bad things do come to an end eventually, don't they? And it's good to snap that streak, I suppose with a big win over Essex. But talking to Leicestershire, actually, this is one of our listener questions, but I think this relates quite nicely to your time with the Foxes. This is from Bears Fanatic on Twitter. And he asks, what actually happened at Leicestershire Ben? So this is more towards the end of your time with the East Midlands County. And he puts it, it seems as though they're on the up under Andrew McDonald. Then he left, and then a lot of good players were allowed to leave or were simply released within a couple of seasons. Why do you think they couldn't keep that group together? I think, I think, unfortunately, at Leicester, it's one of the things that, that there is always a draw of bigger counties. I know it's something that I, you know, I, I hear a lot of people criticise lads that leave. Um, you've seen this year, like Ben Mike's going to move to to Yorkshire. Um, I, I think ultimately there's just always a drive for people to go to a bigger county and I think now that's going to be even bigger with you know, the 100 and you're going to see lads who either want to go to get in the 100 or are in the 100 and they go and experience playing at these grounds they spend a month at you know Callum Parks they spend a month at Headingley you're going to see like what that life's like you know what I mean playing with those facilities and I think it's something that those like a Leicester or a smaller club um, is, going to, is going to struggle with and I think it always has, and unfortunately, it always will. I know fans get kind of frustrated at that, but at the end of the day, like your playing career is only it's it's short. I think you have to go and you know you have to you have to challenge yourself to move on. So just, as I just got there to Leicester, the same thing happened. You know, we had at the time it was like Nathan Book left. He went to to Lance. Greg Smith went to Knotts. Uh, Cobby went to Northants and I think Shiv Fakor moved on to Derby all within you know, like 18 months of me signing at the club we lost the four main younger players that we were building the future of the club around and I think it was just it is just a an unfortunate it's unfortunate how our county system is set up there are bigger clubs there's smaller clubs Yeah it is an unfortunate thing I, I do have to say and obviously my county of Warwickshire we do we do have a tendency of, of signing players from other counties. Mm. I can't shy away from that. But 
Yeah, it is just part and parcel of the game, isn't it, at times? And people have different reasons for moving. Obviously, the financial aspects, that might be one thing. The challenging aspect, because they want to get better as a as a cricketer. Obviously, international desires as well. That does come into it. People want to go on and play for England. So it is an unfortunate part of the sport. But again, it is a part of the sport, isn't it? It's just something which we have to accept. The only thing that I don't want to accept is that in the future, as you alluded to with the 100, that increases the disparity. I don't want to see that in county cricket. I want to see players who do take pride in playing for Leicestershire, Derbyshire, Sussex, Northants, teams like that. Because I don't think, and this is just my personal opinion, obviously there are bigger and smaller counties, but there's no such thing as a bad county, is there, to play for? All 18, it's a tremendous privilege to play county cricket, isn't it? No, absolutely. And that's why I think protecting the 18 county system that we have is massively important. Um, but I think ultimately the way it's going, and I think already there's already kind of tiers to the counties. You see that within with England selections and things like that. So and it, you know, it's kind of understandable, really. Um, so I think the progression towards a, a natural tiering is already underway and inevitable, but every county has has a place in this system. 100%, Ben. Could not have articulated that much better myself. And talking of one of those counties... Let's go back to Durham, because that is where we pick up the next chapter of the story, back in the northeast. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, how did your time at Leicestershire come to an end then? How did that, that chapter come to a close, and how did this new start, back up with your boyhood club, actually start in the first place? It was, it was basically, I'd signed a long, I'd signed a long contract at uh, Leicester, but... It was a four-year contract. After the end of year three, there was a clause that if we hadn't reached Division One, um, I could move to Division One. So it was getting into that. It was like halfway through that kind of third season, which would have been twenty eighteen, um, of that contract, and we weren't really doing much in in four-year cricket. And um, you know, I'd kind of, I was, I was at the time, I, I kind of. I probably don't have these ambitions anymore of trying to play for I don't have them anymore playing for England but at the time I was like this is going to be my last chance if I want to do it so I want to go and play I want to go and play the best cricket that I can so I obviously approached the club and said look I want to speak to other clubs in line with this clause so I, you know me and my agent went out and spoke to was, you know, I was quite surprised there was, a, there was you know some big teams kind of sport there was some interest in this which was you know, it was quite flattering, really. Um, but I just couldn't. It just, you know, nothing. Kind of, I hate. I, I hated the whole process. I hated it. Like I, I just, I just felt like I was kind of betraying Leicester, and I didn't. It didn't sit right with us at all. And it, it took us like months, and then the counties were by Pepman is like, which like you've got to make a decision, and I just couldn't. I couldn't really come to a decision, in kind of out of nowhere, like a, a conversation with one of my good friends, Mark Wood at Durham, kind of came about. And he said, oh, I was talking to him about where I was at and stuff like that. And he said, well, would you come to Durham? And I said, well, I'd, I'd love to, but I can't because it's Division 2. Um, and then there was there was some kind of conversation started happening. And um, it was it was a bit here, there and everywhere. And it, it ultimately, it got to the point where Durham were like, well, I don't want you. So I was like, well, that's off the table. And... Um, so I basically had a weekend to kind of decide where I wanted to go. In the end, I narrowed it down to it was either going to be Warwickshire or Essex. 
I was going to go to. Um, and then I went and actually I met I met some of the coaches of worship at, um, at Edgebass and had a little look around and stuff like that. And then on the on the drive home, I'd rang me agent. I was like, yeah, look, I think I'm going to sign for Warwickshire. Um, I was actually driving back. I was driving back home because I was going on a mate's stag do. Um, so I drove straight back from Warwickshire to the northeast. And I, so I was like, right, as I'll, I'm going on this stag do for a couple of days. I'll come back and I'll we'll get it sorted. And then uh, it was like the next morning, I was like, I was in Newcastle Airport and we made stag do and my agent rings us and I was like, oh, I've had a few pints to be honest with you. So I was like, do I answer this or not? So I was like, okay, I answered it. And he was like, look, last minute, have you, have you changed your emails? I was like, no. I was like, wait, Derham have come back in. They've offered you a contract. And straight away, I was just like, I want to I, I want to sign it up. That's the one I want. I want to, I, I just want to go home. I want to be, I want to be back around my mates, around my family and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that was a no-brainer. And then you know, I kind of spoke to Leicester about the possibility of that. Obviously, it wasn't a Division 1 club, like McClaws said. But you know, at the time, uh, Wazim Khan was the chief executive and he was, him and uh, Nico were, were brilliant. They just sat us down and they were like, look, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make this work. I understand where you're coming from. I think it's the right move for you. Um, for your life and stuff like that so you know they they were excellent and um, I couldn't thank them anymore because they could have they could have played hardball there and it um, would have made that a really difficult decision for me personally but you know, they allowed us to come home and uh, yeah I was, from the second I saw that offer it was there was no decision in my mind about what I wanted I wanted to come back to the northeast. Well that's entirely understandable isn't it home's where the heart is and Ben Absolutely, you could not yeah. set me up any better for this question it's a rather prevalent question and one that I've wanted to ask for a very very long time actually but what does Durham County Cricket Club mean to you because this is your boyhood club it's the region that you're from obviously there's all those connotations of the dream of representing this county and it's a good county as well isn't it Durham considering where they came from getting that first class status in 1992 going on to achieve, what was it, three county championships, a one-day trophy as well. What does playing for Durham mean to you as a cricketer? For, for me, I get kind of daily reminders of it, of, of like my cricketing journey. And I used to go when I was very young. I remember I had like a junior membership card and my dad used to take us and we used to go and sit in the members' lounge. And I remember sitting there thinking that, like watching this, I didn't really know I was too young, I didn't know who I was watching, but I remember thinking like, this looks amazing. I look at this ground and it's kind of weird now sitting there like looking out on that same ground when I'm in the middle of a game. I find that a bit strange and even, you know, I remember like I grew up just up the, um, just up the hill from the riverside. So I live further in the Sunderland now, but I drive, I drive past like my mum and dad's house on the way to work every morning. So I, it's essentially the same drive I used to do for when I was a 9, 10, 11 year old going to county nets and stuff like that. So it's just, it's kind of surreal every morning of just driving in thinking, like, I've done this thousands and thousands of times. Like, I, I kind of dreamt of this moment. It was actually, it's, it's strange actually thinking, like, um, so it was like, I got released, it was 10 years ago, it was 2012 I got released, and I was kind of thinking now, it was actually me, my girlfriend who mentioned it, she was like, so I've been with her the entire time, and she was like, um, it's strange that you got released 10 years ago but like you used to like bat, and now 
you want of Durham's like main bowlers. It's just such a it's been what Durham represents it's like a cricketing journey for me. I've gone from a kid watching it to to now playing and hopefully like trying to be a role model for young lads that like I was there watching. Um representing the region. I don't think you think of that sometimes as much because when you're playing you just kinda of lose everything. You just you're just playing the game really, but Sometimes when you're playing a T20 and you kind of look around the crowd and there's people who, there's people who you know and or people you went to school with or like I was like saw one of my teachers at the ground this year and it's just like this is so weird. So I mean, it's just got that local feel to it. It's just nostalgic of my life and thinking back to all them great Durham teams are what I strive to be a part of. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, we may or may not release the, the visuals to this, but you should have seen the grin on Ben's face as we were discussing that just there. The local pride associated with Durham, as I said, it's incredible. I mean, we've had Chris Rushworth on for our 100th episode. He is now, funny enough, a Warwickshire player heading into 2023. But Rushy spoke so brilliantly about Durham, what it meant to him. And Ben, quite clearly, you definitely share those same sentiments and... Before we discuss the, the recent highlights and then we get onto those listener questions, which, goodness me, yeah, they're going to be something completely different, to say the least. I just wanted to know your thoughts on this new era for Durham cricket, because when you were released back in 2012, Durham were a team on the up, weren't they? Very much so in the county championship, producing England player after England player, winning trophies, pretty much competitive across all three formats. And then in 2016 we had the ECB bailout. And we've discussed this so many times here on the podcast, we discussed it at length with Rushy. And that completely turned the world upside down, didn't it, for cricket in the northeast? So the relegation, points deductions, obviously the removal of test cricket from the Riverside as well, the salary cap, the loss of the likes of Scott Borthwick and Mark Stoneman, massive losses to the club. And all of a sudden, things aren't looking as promising for the northeastern outfits. In your opinion, Ben, I know this is a very, very tough question, but has Durham recovered from that bailout as of 2022? Or do you think that there's still a little bit of a, not an issue, but a consequence of those actions even heading into the modern day? No, absolutely, there's a consequence of them. Um, I think if you you look slowly, lads are starting to, come back to the club you saw Paul Coughlin coming back uh, two years ago um, but you know Durham as I spoke earlier about like, the, the production line at Durham Durham at, the, at that time had you know three of the best batters in England and Storm and Borthwick and Jennings who came through the Durham Academy um, and you know to, to lose those players I know Scott he's just, like, could just come back again in the last two years but to lose those players and to see the successes they've gone on to have you can't replace them. You can't, you know, a thousand run a year batsmen are impossible to replace unless you've got like ridiculous money, which obviously if you're, if you're struggling financially, you've got a salary cap, you can't then compete with that. And you speak to lads around the county saying, you know, Durham isn't an attractive, it isn't an attractive place to try and lure players to. They, they think of it being like a cold, um, you know, desolate place to live. It's only when lads actually get to come and spend a bit of time up here. So we were lucky we had Ollie Robinson from Kent this year on loan. And I think he opened, it opened his eyes to actually the North East. It's not what you expect um, in some regards anyway. So I think it is quite a tough place to recruit players. 
in the past Durham recruited well, but Durham had quite a lot of money. The you know the, the salaries that they were paying out were comp- very competitive, and that's why we, essentially we had a good team. We had an unbelievable production line of players, and you hired in the expertise that you needed. You know, when I was growing up, the Divinute or Benkenstein, like Ian Blackwell, were the kind of signings that made um, high end players at the peak of their careers. So. Yeah, I think the, the minute the club's still not in a position to, you know, throw the kind of money about and compete with some of the bigger clubs, which is it does it does hamper you in a way. You, you know, I'm still producing some fantastic cricketers, but the lads that should be, you know, really nailing their in the, the peaks of their career now have sadly moved on to other places. Um, so we we're probably going to fail that for the next couple of years. There's some really really good young lads coming through, so. I think in a couple of years this team is going to be in a fantastic place, but there is a little still feeling the effects of that a little bit, absolutely. Yeah, and it's sad to see. I, mm. I do have to say that, so I'm not sure if I made it clear enough in today's episode of the podcast. But I really like Durham as a county. I, I honestly, I love going up to the riverside. It's a trek. It's a mammoth journey. It's like four it hours. It's a long journey from the Midlands. I can't imagine what it'd be like for a Sussex fan <laughs> heading up from home, <laughs> going up to Chesterley Street, but. It's a great club. And again, I, I mentioned this with regards to Leicestershire. It's got the family feel about it, hasn't it, Durham? So there's a lot of familiar faces, a lot of recognisable names up there. And it's just got a great feel. I don't think I've ever had a bad experience, to be honest, up in the northeast watching cricket. It's a great place to watch it. I love the ground. And yeah, it'd be nice if Warwickshire could win a few games up there. That's something which we, we don't seem to be able to do in recent years. But I've got a lot of time for Durham. And it did make me sad, to be honest seeing those sanctions come in place and having seen the club go through all of these difficulties. Because, as I said, in the early 2010s, Durham, that Durham team, with all those England players, those domestic superstars, it just meant more to beat Durham. They were a team in that similar ilk of like a Surrey or a Lancashire or a Yorkshire. You felt a lot of pride and a lot of pleasure in beating them because they were so good. And nowadays, having felt those effects of those those sanctions, those financial difficulties, I sincerely hope that they can bounce back. And you mentioned those young players, the likes of Liam Travaskis, Johnny Bushnell, you know, Stan McCallington, Ollie Gibson. Ollie Robinson's not that old himself. But yeah, I do hope that things do improve for Durham heading into the next few years and obviously wishing both yourself and the boys the best of luck there, Ben, with that, uh, that revival mission in the next few years. But... In terms of one of the, the highlights then from your return to Durham, before we get onto those listener questions, there is just one more knock that I wanted to discuss in today's podcast. And I think you know which one it's going to be, but you made a first class ton, which thankfully wasn't against Warwickshire. It was against our rivals, Worcestershire. So that's something that I can smile about. Take us through that innings. And funnily enough, you shared that partnership with a certain Paul Coughlin, who's also from Sunderland. Yeah, well, I've known Cogger since I was, I don't know, like 11, 12 year old, to be honest with you. We grew up like kind of neighbouring little town, so always playing junior cricket with him. So back then, it was, it was good crack. We were, we weren't taking it massively serious at times, but it was, it was just, look, I think the Riverside was a tough place to bowl this year. It, it was quite flat, quite slow. Um, and it was just one of them, one of them days where you just like, uh, the, again, with the, the balls this year that we played with, if they got soft at the Riverside, it was it, there was just runs to be had. I, I can't remember the exact scores in the game, but we got we got close to like six fifty or something like that, and 
I think off the top of my head, there was like 17 wickets in the entire 40 years. It was like, it was a, it was a painful experience. But I think batting on it was like, it was good fun. But at the same time, it was like, I've got to try and bowl the team out on this. I don't know. I'm going to, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough wicket. It was, it was a graveyard, to be honest with you. So with this, quite a small boundary on one side. So I batted nicely, but like, you know, it was, it wasn't the most difficult of surfers, I'll be honest. Yeah, but it's not always about that, is it? Even if you've got a flat flat wicket and it's a bit of a road, you still have to cash in. And you two certainly did that. I mean, yourself, 103 and out, which only included nine falls, which I did find very interesting, considering the strike rate was nearly 100. I was expecting a few more boundaries than that, to be honest, well, over the course honest, of that. Experience. It was, I think, uh, who played that game? Was it? I think it was Ratchet. Ratchet Ravitra's debut. Yes, it was. What did he get? Like he got over two hundred, didn't he? Yes, he did. <laughs> so I think like they were all by that time they were already they were well done by the time I got in, and I think it was a case of they understood the best way for them to get something out of the game was to make it last as long. So from the second I was in, there was people out on the boundary. So it was just it was just a case of kind of not doing something stupid really, which I'm prone to to be honest. But luckily for one time. The stupid stuff I did do, I got away with, and it was nice to get me first one, to be fair. And it was a good knock, I must say, and pretty special as well, to share it with Coggers. Coggers bringing up his maiden first-class century as well, which I thought was quite nice, actually. Two Sunderland boys playing for the local yeah. county. And yeah, it was quite the partnership, wasn't it? 213 runs for the eighth wicket. It was nice. It, yeah, it was <laughs> nice. So it was it was just good fun. You know, it was one of them days where like, I think we did make a few jokes like as we got towards the end. It was like, We've got, a ball, we've got a ball on this in a bit. Like, so let's just might as well get as many runs as we can. Well, you certainly did that. Yeah, 213 runs for the eighth wicket. And I think I think the final score, I haven't actually got it on me, but I think it was 642 for six declared. Yeah, and I'd say I think I think we, we bored them out, but we didn't we didn't make them follow on. They, they got, it was it was a tough week that one, I'm not gonna lie, which is a lot of a lot of fielding, which was a, a theme of our year. Yeah, but it happens, doesn't it, from time to time. And this year as well, you've got to remember, there was the problem with the balls, wasn't there? Yeah, the balls were poor all year, to be honest. Oh, well, fingers crossed heading into next season. Yeah, they do improve. It was a long season, I'm not going to lie. It was tough work. You say that, though, and yet this is quite interesting. You say it's a tough season, but looking at your stats with the ball in hand, Durham's second leading wicket-taker, fifth overall in Division 2 as well, with 47 wickets at 25.25, that's still pretty impressive going, considering all of the issues with balls and the difficult nature of the surfaces. No, I was I was absolutely over the moon with how I bowled. To be honest, with you, like even though I'm, I'm not a I'm not a, like a young lad anymore, it was a it was a huge like learning curve for me. Of like, yeah, I think I've kind of honed a skill of being reasonably accurate and just trying to nip them a bit. And it was a bit like. You know, with the balls and the wickets we played on the show, it's like you can run in and do that all day. It's not going to do anything. They're just going to hit, you're just going to ball in the middle of someone's back. So it was like, you know, tactically and skills wise, you're trying to do something a bit different on better pitches. So I, I kind of understand if that's what they're meant to do or not the ECB. It, it definitely made me better this year. I had to be. I, I'm, there was weeks where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get a wicket. I literally don't know. I, I, me, I remember me and Mushy sometimes saying like, 
we're gonna have to retire, right? <laughs> like we're kind of this is I can't like both of us like you had you know Chris Bush was like the lead mate of all time, and both I'm at mid off he's born. And he's like I'm not I'm never gonna get another one again. Like that's what it was like at times this year. It was, but it's, it did it, but like you had to get better, you had to improve. So I was quite happy that the ball the balls were a bit messed up. Really, it, it, it forced me to upskill absolutely. Silver linings, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. but it was some, it was a tough old slog. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I've heard that a lot to be honest mm. from a lot of players this summer. But saying that though, it was a good season wasn't it? In terms of the actual action that we got to see, we did see some excellent individual displays across all three formats and the conclusion to the county championship, in particular in Division 1, was yeah, yeah something nice. to behold. So at least the quality of cricket was entertaining, but I imagine being out there bowling <laughs> for those long, yeah, sure. hard spells, yeah. <laughs> I don't envy you at all, to be honest, Ben, <laughs> yeah. at times this season. But aside from cricket then, and before we move on to our concluding segment, which will discuss the future of your cricket career, Ben, we do, of course, have the listener questions. And this is a segment which I've been looking forward to all episodes, to be honest, because we have got some absolute <laughs> belters lined up there for today. But our first one is actually a bit of a more serious one. It's a cricket-related one. And this is from Vanch Surian. And Vanch asks, what was it like to play with Varun Aaron and Mohamed Abbas at Leicestershire? Um... Varun Aaron was quite it was interesting he bowled he was, he was fast but he used to I don't know how he did it but he used to make the ball reverse swing and then not tell you about it so he was very hard to <laughs> sometimes you'd be running a ball and you're like I've got no idea what this is doing so um, he he was he was, yeah, he was he was quite difficult to play with actually because I, I just I'd stand there and be like please just tell us I don't need to know anything about what's happening just I can't. I don't. I don't like running the ball, not knowing where this ball's going to go. So I needed a bit more communication with him. Um, Abbas was phenomenal. Like he was, he was literally like. I remember he came. He's the first kind of. He came, played a game, then went and played for Pakistan for a bit, and then he came back. And I remember the first half of the season, he didn't get loads of wickets, but it was just unbelievable bowling. And I think he basically developed the the understanding that. He's, he's played a lot of test cricket. He's gone away from the bat. When he worked out, like, I need to go in. He then, it, it was like, it was ridiculous. Like, I can't, I can't remember how many wickets he got, but he got, it, 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 he would have got like, his back end of that season would have been, he would have got like 40 odd wickets in seven games. I would have, it was ridiculous. It was stupid. He, he got a couple of tenfers and it was just, it was just brilliant to watch, but at the at the same time as well, when you play with some someone like that, you can't help but being like, "God, I'm rubbish compared to him." Like, I can't do any of the stuff that he does. But you, you know, he was brilliant. He, he helped us a lot. He would try and teach us things, but he's just got that kind of natural skill that, as much as he was trying to kind of help us, I just couldn't do the things that he was seeing. You know, he was he was a great man, and you know, brilliant. And I, I enjoyed. I taught him a couple of northeastern words, and he still. If I speak to him now, he, he'll still. <laughs> it was great. Causes marrow all the time. It was fantastic. You know, that's just brought back some memories. I'm not sure if you've seen the video, Ben. I think it's on England Cricket's YouTube channel. It's from years ago, but it's Sam Billings and Mark Wood at the MCG. I, I Have saw you seen the video? Yeah. <laughs> I'll never bad. ever forget that. And I think one of the the terms was this gadget's gone raggy. I think. Uh, 
<laughs> just, just to explain that to people outside the northeast, what does that sentence mean? Oh, well, Gadji's a bloke. Well, to Gan Raji is well, Gan is cool, but a Raji is just like to go a bit mental and stuff, or you, or you can be a Raji, which is just someone that's just mental. But a Gadji, <laughs> Gadji's Gan Raji is uh, someone the bloke's gone mental. I'd say. Who in the Durham dressing room would you describe as a Raji? Oh, Johnny Bushnell is an absolute Raji. Is he? Raji. Or Stan also. McLinden, also. The so couple, the young young, lads. A couple of young Raji's coming through, yeah. The, the belt is like, to be fair, I like listening to what the kind of stuff they get up to. It's amazing. <laughs> Good young players as well. I've got to say, I mentioned <laughs> those two by name. Oh, goodness me. Any other Northeastern dialect that we should be aware of? Lord, to be fair, my Mara is my favourite. That's the one I use with I, I talk Bassy all the time, which just means like it's a mate, your Mara. So whenever I, if I ever see him or I message him, he'll just he'll reply like, "Hello, Mara." And I just, just I just love it every time. It's class. Well, fair enough. That's something I've learned actually today. I don't think I've ever used that in my life, but there we go. Might have to introduce it into the vocabulary. If you hear that on the podcast from now on, you know why. <laughs> Ben Rain taught me that on episode 201, I think it is, that we're into the Counter Cricket podcast now. But our next question, Ben, this comes from a friend of mine, Rory Law, the sceptical cricketer. Shout out to Rory. But he asks, is it ever frustrating that the salt and pepper name thing is done to death when rain bowling to hails is obviously far better and in brackets more symbolic? Do you ever hear the hails to, to rain or rain to hails when you're playing cricket? Nah, I get I get the same kind of chant. Oh, every T Twenty game where there's a busy crowd, there's always one bloke who's had a bit of drink, and he must think it's he's the first person that's ever said it. But they'll just be like, "It's raining," and you're like, "Is that like, come on, is that really the best you've got?" Like, but they're like, obviously they've had a couple of beers, everyone around them like laughs, and I'm like, "You're better than that. Like, there's better options there." Just Use your head a little bit, come back to us in a bit. But I get that, I'd say I get that every single game, and you're like, oh, come on, you better, do better. I'm just making a note of that for the Holly stand in uh, 2023. I, I, used, <laughs> I, I, used to have a, I used to have a chant at Leicester, which I used to love. There's the Stench and Benno stand, which is like, they're like football fans, they get it, they're brilliant people, but they used to, they used to say, like, um, it's raining men, but it was like, it's rainy Ben. <laughs> that's good that's, that's a good brilliant one. yeah I like that one yeah so another thing I, I don't yeah I think there's a bit more that could be done when we turn in but I, I I don't get much of the good stuff to be honest yeah. no I can imagine you don't in particular for away games I mean I spoke to Will Beer this would have been about 100 episodes ago now and he always gets that wherever he is he even gets it down in Hove fancy a beer Will and he's had that for like yeah. a decade <laughs> Literally, you're like, oh, just do, come on. But they'll probably think, I'm the first person that's thought of that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. They're probably off with their mates as well saying, oh, did you hear that? Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. Like, yeah, it's not raining. I, I can tell you that. <laughs> but there we go, folks. We're, we're going to have to come up with some, some more inventive chants and, and songs and remarks heading into 2023. I think that's the advice to take away from today. And in terms of this next question, this is the penultimate question, Ben, from our listeners. <laughs> from a good friend of mine, Bex. Shout out to Bex. Absolute ghost. Uh, she asks, Ben, 
And I can't believe this. I think we've had this about two or three times in the entire history of the, of the podcast. What is your go-to 10 out of 10 Tesco meal deal? I, I never get a Tesco meal deal. Do you know what about I would boots? have? Wait, if I'm going for meal deal, I'm going for chicken and stuff in Sarnie, number one. An oasis. Or which flavour? Which flavour? Do you know what's, what's the red one? Berry or something? I don't know what it is. Yes, yeah, summer berries, Not, something like that. that one, the red one, whatever it is. Just a nice pattern of Monster Munch or something. <laughs> pickled onion, pickled onion, Monster Munch. That's me. Absolutely love it. I don't think you'll find a, a more northeastern crisp than pickled onion Monster Munch, will you? Potentially not. No, they're lovely, aren't they? They are banging yeah. crisp. Mm. Good choice. But I think Tesco—they've upped the price now. It used to be three quid, right? Three pounds sterling—that is for for overseas listeners of the podcast. It's now three pound ninety. Cost of living crisis gets everywhere, doesn't it? Shocking. First it was the Freddo, and now it's the Tesco meal deal. I mean, I don't know what the world's coming to. It's absolutely shocking. But just to reiterate that then, Ben, what is your go-to meal deal? It's a chicken and stuffing sandwich. Yes. A berry oasis, the red one. Oh, whatever. The red one. Pick up on your Munster Munch, the purple one. Chef's kiss. Love it. That's a decent one. I mean, it's a lot better than saying like a, a ham sandwich, ready sorted crisps, bottle of water. That would have been unforgivable. That's, it's not for me, unfortunately, that one. Nah, too bland. Too <laughs> vanilla. <laughs> I'll reveal mine one day, but uh, I'll save that for, yeah. for another right. episode. Or should I say it now, Ben? What, what yeah, come on, give us it. What's yours? Right. You're going to call me very sudden for this, even though I'm from the Midlands, but Chicken Caesar. Chicken Caesar wrap, that is. I don't think you can even get a chicken Caesar sandwich. Walker's no. Max, you know, the paprika's ones. Is that the ones like the little crinkles in them? Yeah, yeah, the, the ridges. Yep. In the okay, big packet, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And then depending on how I'm feeling, either a 7-Up or an Orange Oasis. Depends how many E numbers I want. Oh, Oasis are very sugary. Yeah. They're nice, or They are, yeah. <laughs> I can't disagree with that. <laughs> to be honest, it's a banging meal deal. Yeah, there you go then, folks. Let us know, which one would you prefer, Ben's meal deal or my meal deal? Let me know on Twitter or Instagram using the links in the podcast description below. But Ben, our final question, and this question, I don't know how you're even going to answer it, to be honest. I was asked it today, right, by a couple of my friends, and it's one of the most unique questions I've I've ever heard and been asked, to be honest. But let's say you've got a really big house, a mansion, an estate, right? And you've got a choice between two things. And these two things are a woolly mammoth, right? So like Manny from Ice Age, big hairy elephant, or a robot from the future, which can essentially do whatever you want. Which one of those things would you rather have? Would you rather have the mammoth or the robot? The robot, obviously. What am I going to do with the mammoth? (laughs) Well, that's a good question. I suppose it'd look cool, though, wouldn't it? You'd be the only person on the planet with a, with a mammoth. I but I live in Sunderland. Someone will come nick it or something. <laughs> I don't want a mammoth. It'd be a status symbol, though, wouldn't it? You can ride your mammoth into Sunderland, take it to the stadium I alone. Could, uh, yeah. I could. There's a few mammoths around Sunderland, to be fair. Would... Uh, nah, I'm having the robot. That's going to serve us. That's going to serve me very well. Even during a cost-of-living crisis, think of the electricity bills to run that robot. Oh, it's going to be, surely it's nuclear or something. It's a, from the future, man. They've gone through the cost of living crisis in the future. 
to the north. I hadn't thought of that, to be honest. I, I would want the mammoth, to be completely honest. I don't know if that's just <laughs> me being strange. It's a really bizarre question. It got me thinking, to be question. honest. It is, because you need the... use I'd have for a mammoth. Hmm. I suppose you're making me reconsider it now, and I said the mammoth. But I just think it'd be cool, to be honest. Imagine, imagine rocking up to Edgebaston on the back of a mammoth. I, I don't know. I just think it'd be rather unique. Whereas in the future, I think everyone could have robots at some point. So let us know. That's the other question for today. Would you rather have a mammoth or a robot? Didn't think I'd be asking that on the podcast, but here we are. Life works out in <laughs> strange and mysterious ways. But Ben, our final question then for today is, of course, going back to the world of crickets, and it does revolve around the future. So, obviously, it's the off-season now. 2023 is around the corner. There's still a few months, but it's on the horizon. What would you like to achieve heading into the 2023 season and the years beyond? I'd like to win something. That'd be That's nice. what I want to... Yeah. So, I never actually won anything in my career yet, so... Um... That's obviously what I'm. I'm I want to do. Um, it's obviously there's a bit up in the air in terms of like what the kind of red ball setup's going to be like in the future and over the next couple of years. So that's a bit up in the air. But obviously, trying to win a T20 or um, a personal note, like try and play the hundred as many more times as I could. That would be. I've enjoyed that every time of the two times I've been in it. So. Um, just try, you know, try and get a, try and play as long as I can as well. Personally, I've, I've you know, I've, I'm still enjoying my cricket. It's, it's, it's hard. Like I'm not gonna lie, that the seasons are, they are a tough slog. But just, I want to play as long as I can and just be in a position where I can strive to do as well as I can for as long as I can for Durham. And then when my time's up, hopefully the person that comes in and takes my place is someone that I've. You know, I've helped do that, if that makes sense. Like someone I've helped develop their game and because you know, I was very lucky throughout my career to have a lot of really good role models and blokes that helped me and um that's kind of what I want to achieve over my next few years, just making sure I help help lads have a great time in this career. Well, Ben, it goes without saying, but obviously myself and everyone here at the Counter Cricket Podcast are wishing yourselves and Durham nothing but the very best of luck heading into the future. It's been quite the podcast, I've got to say. I've thoroughly enjoyed every single minute of it, Ben. It's been entertaining. It's been fascinating at times. And obviously, always welcome back on here at TCCP in the future. So before we do end the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, anything like that? Absolutely not. No? Uh, not no, even the Insta? Nothing. Nah, don't, don't worry about it. Me on man. <laughs> All right, there we go then, folks. Well, if you want to go and follow something from today's episode, follow us on Twitter at the County Cricket Two, or indeed on Instagram, the County Cricket Podcast. We are now on Instagram. We do produce some very unique content, so if you're into your Instagram stuff, go and give us a follow. But Ben, all that is left for me to say is a massive thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, and I'll repeat it again: you're always welcome back here at TCCP at some point in the future. But that is it from us two here at TCCP for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.